Hey everybody, I'm Jason, your host of Let Freedom Reign, an equine industry leading podcast that talks to folks from all different walks of life who share their testimony of adversities and perseverance and how the horse has helped them through their journey. Stay tuned. We're going to have a great time. Come along for the ride. Welcome everybody to the February 2021 episode here at Let Freedom Reign podcast. Before we introduce this month's guest, I want to take a second and thank everybody for the support of my episode that was released in January. The volume of direct messages, emails, text messages, and phone calls showing support of my journey and my cause here at Let Freedom Reign podcast is absolutely amazing, and I cannot thank each and every one of you enough. Your continued support is just positive affirmation that we are all on the right path in our journey to pursue personal growth through faith and horsemanship. Also in January, we rolled out our first fellowship meeting for the gathering. It was a great turnout with some inspiring leaders within the Western industry. I spent a little time talking about what it means to live a life of service, both the ups and downs, and how to pursue long-term success in service. In February, the gathering will be hosting Josh McElroy. Josh was previously featured in episode 93 here at Let Freedom Reign Podcast and has been an amazing servant to our country through the United States Army. Josh will be presenting on living a life worth sacrifice, and to better understand the foundation of his perspective, I encourage you to go back and listen to episode 93. Josh has an incredible story, is always fun to talk to, and a man which I have the utmost respect for. Now this month on Let Freedom Reign Podcast, we host a great friend of mine, Patrick Sullivan. Patrick is a horseman in Kentucky by way of Dallas, Texas, and throughout this episode, you will hear his journey through academics, professional sports, and all his efforts in horsemanship. In April of this year, Patrick will be stepping off on an incredible journey titled Gamila Unbridled. Patrick will be traveling from California to Lexington, Kentucky, bareback and bridleless. It's an approximately 2,500-mile journey, and Patrick will stop at several horse rescues along the way, teaching and advocating for Liberty Horsemanship. For more information, you can follow Patrick on Facebook at Gamila Unbridled, and that's G-A-M-I-L-A-H, Unbridled and moderndayhorsemanship.com. For more information on Liberty Horsemanship, you can find them on social media at International Liberty Horse Association and libertyhorseassociation.com. As always, should you find the content of this episode valuable, please share it with a friend. Additionally, your five-star ratings and reviews on the podcast platform of your choice would mean the world to us. You can find us both on Facebook and Instagram under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. We hate to keep you all waiting any longer, here is our conversation with Patrick Sullivan. So right now I'm in uh, Midway, Kentucky. I'm taking care of Dan James of Double Dan Horsemanship's farm right now. So, and the winter is kind of slow. So really, we're working on projects. I'm building an apartment on the the farm. It's it's pretty cool. It's kind of like my own space, and it's the first project like this I've had where I've been able to you know put up walls and insulation and putting in plumbing and getting the roof on and it's just been a lot of work i mean we've been working on it since the beginning of the year i think like march we started it and it's still finally coming along we're building the upstairs and that's what's given me a lot of time at the farm not only to take care of the horses and work on some of the horse things i've been wanting to do but also just work on some of the projects uh, that we have going on and it's uh, i love learning and that's one of the things i love most about the ranch is there's always things you can do with your hands whether it's with the horses or whether it's building or whether it's fixing things. Uh, I just have a passion for it and, and I love it. And so this winter time really gives me an opportunity to do more of that. I'll tell you what, it's funny you get 
you get to a ranch, right? And I can tell you in my experience in buying this place in the last year, year and a half or so, uh, you buy it with the intention of having more time for the horses, right? And you soon <laughs> yep. find out that it's quite the opposite. You start to go the construction route, working on managing land and pastures <laughs> and building and elect- electrical work. I mean, uh, you you buy a piece of land or you take on a project for the sake of enjoying horses, and now all of a sudden you got fifty five other careers. It seems like you're trying to trying to iron out. So it's a uh, definitely exactly understandable. Right. Yeah, 100%. We have plenty of ground to cover in this episode, man, and uh, I can't thank you enough for setting time aside for us and, and sharing your story. you got quite an adventure coming up starting in April, and we'll definitely get to that as a story in the, the episode progresses. But we always like to start every episode kind of giving listeners context as to who you are and how you get started. And uh, We obviously got connected through Double Dan Horsemanship and, and the mutual friend Dan James, and if you don't mind, uh, introduce yourself. Let's start with a little bit of your history. I know growing up in Dallas, Texas, and, and soccer was a big part of your life, and it's not until later that the horses really became a passion. So let's start with that, just growing up in Texas, and, and we'll work our way through through college and now into the horsemanship career. Yeah, for sure. And, and before I start, I really would like to thank you, Jason. And I've known We've known each other for the last couple months now, but really gotten to know each other, I'd say, in the last two or three and. Um, I respect you so much as a, of a man in general and as a man of faith and, and just someone that walks the walk. And I'm just very blessed to be on this, this call and this podcast and more importantly, get to know you as a person and consider you a friend. So I just want to thank you for this opportunity and uh, before we get started and just say, just say thank you. Man, that's huge. I can't thank you enough, man. The, the admiration and respect is definitely mutual. Well, thank you. So well, I'll, I'll go ahead and get started. Yeah, it's, uh, this horse journey started later in life, but I grew up in the middle of Dallas, Texas, in a big city. You know, I live 15 minutes away from downtown, and uh, the country life was something that I never thought about. But I grew up playing, you know, all sports, you know, basketball, football, soccer, baseball. But my first and biggest love has always been soccer. I started when I was a little kid, you know, when I could three or four, just kicking the ball. And I just had a passion for it. You know, my, my family was never really big into sports. My mom and dad never really played a lot of sports. My brother did it. My sisters played uh, sports, but you know, it was just something that I just found naturally. And I enjoyed the camaraderie of hanging out with my teammates and the challenge of being competitive every day with others, but most importantly myself and pushing myself every single day to get better and going out in the field and competing. And then, understanding that a lot of times we do lose, but how do you respond to that? So I think sports really helped shape my character from a young age because I was always small. You know, I was, I didn't grow um, really until college. I was always the smallest one on the field and just had to learn about hard work and getting up when you get knocked down and really just outworking everyone else to succeed. And uh, that for me, was just probably one of the biggest lessons in my life even today is that you don't get anything. I don't care the talent you have. I don't care, you know, the name you have, the reputation, you don't get anything or anywhere long-term without that hard work and sports really set that foundation for me from day one. I'll tell you, you bring up a great point and uh, let's develop hard work, right? And the idea of that. So, uh, obviously, I lived a similar journey growing up playing baseball, and, and I was the undersized athlete for the lion's share of my career, and you say you grew in college. Well, I never really did grow. <laughs> I, I was always one of the smaller guys on the team, and uh, mm-hmm. as you start getting closer and closer to professional sports, right? I mean, you see it. Some of these some of these athletes are just freaks. That's right. Incredibly tall, incredibly athletic, incredibly strong, 
but hard work is hard work is how I got by as well. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I didn't have that physical stature, size, ability, right? I wasn't the fastest. I wasn't the strongest. I didn't throw the hardest, but I knew that if I outworked the next guy, chances are we're, we were going to be successful. And that's right. Hard work has been a tough lesson for me because I just put my nose at the grindstone forever, all the way probably through my late 20s and mm-hmm. and everything I did. Once I, I redirected out of baseball and into life and getting a real job, uh, but I, I, I allowed hard work to burn me out, right? So there's a fine line that you have to find with hard work. You, you, you got to be able to outwork everybody else, but you can't push the envelope so far right? That you wear yourself out. And it's only now and I start to get in my thirties and you start to understand that, yeah, you got to work, but there's got to be, there's got to be that balance in hard work, right? It's got to be a healthy amount of hard work. So for you, uh, what was your experience in that either maintaining that balance or maybe you, you tipped to one side of the scale or the other, as far as hard work goes? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's brilliant. And it's something that people don't really discuss too much because you're a hundred percent right. You can get burned out very quickly. And and in my mind, probably the most important thing is that to work hard and, and something that you're overly passionate about, something that you, you live and you drink and you smell and, and just you just live truly by, whether it's you know your faith or something that you love, no matter what it is, I view that like the more passionate you are and the more you enjoy it, the harder you'll work at it. Yeah. And then the better you become at that, whatever it may be, the harder you'll work again. Yeah. And I, I understand that you know we can get burned out and we can see ourselves and we do need our downtime. But I always found that uh, a lot of times after I have a long day or a long week or a long month, even if I just take a day or two to myself and just get away completely and not and not worry about what I was doing, then I always come back way more refreshed. And I just think even if it's setting aside a little bit of time, a full day, and don't do anything that you are accustomed to doing in your job or your career, your passion, whatever it may be, and you just set aside to do what else you want to do, it really refreshes your mind and your soul. Yeah, you definitely have to have that that um, activity or hobby, right, that, that recharges the batteries. And for me, I was very... Like taking that much time away from sports or any goal would create anxiety in me, right? Because that's time that I quote unquote wasting because I'm not working yeah. towards my goal. But now I understand that, hey, that hour break, that two hour break, heck, there's been times that you take a whole entire weekend off, right? Because you've worked right. so hard for so long. You just take two or three days to yourself, go out, do something else, get your mind off of it, create that separation. It actually lights that fire and pushes you to work harder for a longer period of time than if you would have worked that weekend through and just stayed the course. So uh, life balance is a is a big, big deal when it comes to hard work. It's definitely one of the tougher lessons that I've had to learn as far as balancing hard work and really, really defining it that uh, exhaustion doesn't mean victory, right? There's a, there's a balance that has to take place. You know, it's funny. I'll touch one more. The story on that is, you know, I, I was never, you know, the best student. I mean, I made, you know, A's and B's and I worked hard at school and, and I did work at school because I knew I needed it for the future. But I would, people would always be like, how come you don't stay up all night before tests? And how come you don't just cram, cram, cram? And I always thought this and I use this in my life with whatever I do. I was like, if I do not know that material before, right before the test, it's, it's, it's already lost. The work began before yes, that test yes. even started, you know, and, and 
So I never stayed up late, whether it was in college or get my MBA or whatever else, the night before the test to study. My mind was to study so much before, early, that when it got closer, I started to almost set back a little bit so that I went to that test. My mind was fresh and I was ready to go. So that's kind of also been my mindset when it comes to hard work. And when you brought up that story, I just kind of wanted to share my outlook on that. Yeah, it's true. You know, you put a little bit of effort, put a little bit of effort forward consistently. That's going to go a lot farther than just mashing the gas in in that last minute preparation for for any event. It doesn't have to be academics. It could be anything in life, right? Work or presentation or public speaking, however you want to apply it. That's right. Good stuff, man. So let's continue on through the journey and, and growing up in Texas. And you said, you know, the the horse thing wasn't a big deal growing up. You spent a lot of time focusing on soccer. So let's talk about maybe that transition from, from soccer and those years going into to horses. Yeah. So um, so I ended up going and playing four years of collegiate soccer and uh, studying business. I, my goal was to always get into business. So my undergraduate degree was in business marketing and um, but when I graduated college, I, you know, I was very fortunate to have a pretty successful year play, um, playing college my junior and senior years. And so a friend of mine, he's like, oh, I got a, I got a tryout for you in England. So I went over there and, and uh, stayed there and I played for um, a team called Maltby Main over in England and with, with my friend. And uh, it was amazing. But unfortunately, the visa stuff didn't work out. So I came back to the state. And uh, I was like, you know, I don't really have that passion to keep playing, but I do want to coach and I do want to further my education. So I ended up coaching collegiate soccer for four years while obtaining my MBA in international business. And after those four years were up, I was like, I don't want to coach college soccer forever. I I respect the game. I, I, I love coaching, but I just it's just not a passion for me that I see doing for the rest of my life. And I was like, I don't know what I want to do, but I want to go set aside, go go make some money, work in international business, and go from there. So I graduated, and I told my boss that I was leaving, and that was one of the hardest things in my life because he's still a good friend of mine and someone I respect dearly. But I didn't know where to go, but my mom was like, hey, look, you can come back to the farm. Um, she had moved out to the country by then, and she was like, you can move home while you look for a job, but all you have to do is look for the horses while I go to work. And I'm like, well, mom, I don't know anything about horses, but <laughs> sure. <laughs> but okay. You know, it's a free place to stay. I don't have to pay anything. I yeah. can just go and, 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 you know, look for a job. So I got there and boy, I, like, I didn't even know how to put a halter on a horse. I didn't know. I mean, I, I didn't know the front end from the back end of a horse. I, I knew nothing. Like I was just risk hundred percent raw, but I was going to say, I heck, I've been doing really- horses for years and barely even know that. that is true i guess you know it's one of those things there's always so much to learn yeah but um yeah so it's just it it was just crazy and i i I was kind of by myself because it was isolated in the country and i was down near houston texas so i was a long way from home and like where i grew up and i didn't really know anybody so i would just spend all day. I was like, I'm bored. You know, I'm looking for a job and I'm bored. I want something to do. So I asked my mom, I was like, is there a horse I can at least do something with? And she picked out this, you know, 10 year old mare. Um, that was just, she was beautiful, but she was scared. And she's like, yeah, you can have this one. This one's been trained. And I was like, wait, this has been trained and keeps running away from me. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, what what do I do? I I don't know what to do, but you know, long story short, I, I found a job, uh, helping high school soccer players that wanted to play college. I helped, you know, I was kind of the middleman, the recruiter. Mm -hmm. And, 
So I would work all day, but I would finish up at night and I'd be like, I want, I just want to be around the horses. So I would just take this mare out and let her eat grass, and just be around her. And it was just something about her eyes and something about her soul that I knew, I knew that was it. And two, so I started taking lessons every two weeks, getting to know, you know, a little bit more about horses. And I would go back home and just every night after work, I would go and stay up as late as I could to, with these horses and just messing around. And two years later, I quit my job. I was like, I'm going to focus on horses full time. And it, it just one thing led to another. And I got opportunity after opportunity from amazing people with their horses that trust, trusting a young man to help that knew very little to work with their horses and educate myself uh, for the better. And that one horse that, that helped me, her name's Amy and uh, got me started. I called her my angel for this day because she helped me grow in my faith. It helped me grow as a man. And it really put me in position to, I think, help a lot of people and horses in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about you stepping away from, from formal work, right. And transitioning into the horse side of things and trying to take it more serious and eventually work full time at it. So what for you, I mean, that's a pretty scary decision, right? To walk away from everything that you know, everything that you've worked for towards something that just feels good at that point. And what was kind of going through your mind? Where did you find your faith? Where did you find your strength to be able to take that challenge on, you know, work hard and and find success in that? Yeah. I'm not going to lie to you, Jason. It was, it was scary. It was, it was a fear because I always, in my mind, I was like, you know, I want to go be successful, have a successful career. I want to be, I don't have a family yet, but I hope to make enough money to provide for my family and give. And, but, you know, there was just something about the horse that kept drawing me away from the corporate world. And it's funny, like the day I knew that this was a decision, I, I went out, it was like almost like a crossroads for me. I went out to Louisiana to work, to have an interview for a good friend of mine. He works at an oil and gas company. And he, he told me that he wanted me to join and learn about the company. And eventually someday, hopefully if things worked out, kind of take over. And it was an incredible position. I still respect him incredibly. I mean, he's just a wonderful businessman. And I got back to the farm that night and I called my best friend um, and we talked about it for an hour and he just gave me some really good advice. And he said, look, he said, don't follow these things for the money. Follow yeah. what you're doing for your happiness and that money will come because I know that you're going to be successful if you work hard and if you just put all your soul into it. And I decided from that point on, you know, through conversations with my family and, and that friend that this was the way I was going to do it. I'm not going to look back. And no matter what, no matter what happens, I'm going to put my best foot forward and my faith forward. And I'm going to go for it because I'll be successful with the support of my faith, my family, and those that, that care about me. That's a pretty courageous move on your part because, uh, there's just so many unknown variables and yep. you're leaving something that's, that's very stable. And, and we've had a lot of guests on this show that, that came from corporate America on some level and, and to the exact point that the money just was not worth the headache anymore. And the passion and the fire and the drive for the horse and horsemanship and other, other specialty fields that they, they live and work in now, just the, the draw, the drive was there and, Making that jump, I think, is most commendable because you are leaving all the stability and all the confidence of care for what might not be. So 
hats That's off to right. you for making that step and continuing to push through. And you talk about support and opportunities. Let's let's work through some of your early experiences with Arabian horses and the rescue horses and how that developed a skill set for you that that earned you some pretty incredible opportunities. <laughs> you know, it's funny thinking about the beginning. Like I was bad. I, I was like. <laughs> I mean, if these people saw me flopping around on a horse like I was doing, like, I don't know why they keep letting me come back, but I guess I was too healthy. <laughs> you know, the first, it's crazy, the first job that I got as a horseman, as a professional, where, where someone really trusted me was at this uh, rescue farm called Windy Hill Equine in Salina, Texas, which is just north of Dallas. And I met her through um, one of my mentors, his name's Ryan Rose, and she was a big client of his, and you know, she was like, look, I, I know you don't know much, but I know that if you come here, you're going to learn a lot from these rescue horses. And boy, like they changed my life because even to, to this day, um, and I'll, I'll touch a little bit about the Arabian horses, but I kind of want to start on those the rescues. Mm-hmm. Even to this day, they are some of the most difficult horses that are they are, are around, in my opinion, because you do not know what they've been through in life. You don't know where they came from. You don't know who did what to them. You don't know what, where, you know, their mind is. And the biggest thing that I learned early on that I, and I got bucked off more than you could. I almost once a week I was getting bucked off by something <laughs> or multiple times, you know, yeah. the best one was like riding around. I was hopped on this one horse. And she was like, be, my boss was like, be careful. This one could be, you know, and I hopped on this thing and I just like, let's go. And this thing just started bucking and it took off around the little arena that we had. And it threw me up against the rail. And like, I like flipped around it like an ice, like you would, like someone oh, gets goodness. pushed in the ice. And I was like, I was laid on my back for a couple of minutes. I was like, what am I doing this? I got an education. And I'm like, yeah, it's time to figure out a different way. <laughs> yeah. And, but I just like, I was like, I'm not giving up. And, I, so I just started studying more and learning more. And I, man, I, I wouldn't, wouldn't trade that experience for the world because those horses taught me how to listen. And they taught me that in order to achieve real connection with that, those horses, you had to listen first. And, and to this day, it sticks with me. And I'm still really good friends with the owner. And I want to help her as much as I can in anything I do. But those horses changed my life. So I've had the question posed to me quite a bit that, you know, why don't you start with easier horses or why don't you start with quote unquote better horses, higher quality horses, things of that sort. But I truly feel that the horse is given to me uh, in a way that I, I need to give back tenfold, right? There is no reason a horse right. needed to give me the time of day or work me through any of my issues. And now I feel that that desire and work and drive needs to be reciprocated and, a lot of people say you could be so much further along, right? If you had that horse is just a little more well-rounded or, or had a little bit easier history or wasn't so tough between the ears. But for me, the draw is there because I have found the quote-unquote difficult horses, the quote-unquote problem horses, they have the world to give. And yeah. often in their journey, they haven't found a human that's willing to take the time to sit back and listen. Amen. You know? So it's incredible to watch the amount of progress that can take place. And yes, the road is slow and yes, it can be bumpy and difficult, but when you're able to get through to a horse like that and make that connection, it's really, really something special. You're right. I couldn't agree more. So, um, my, it was, my mom had an Arabian farm. Like that's, 
that's what she, you know, kind of, is, you know, she's a small breeder and doesn't really breed that much, but, you know, she has the Arabian horse and that's always been her passion. And people are always like, why is Arabian horses the first one that horses that you decided to ride? And it was like, well, I didn't know any better. And, you know, Arabians <laughs> were the horse that, yeah. that, I, that I started with. And, you know, Arabians like rescues a lot of times have a very almost sour reputation among um, horse people in general. They think that they're beautiful, but they're also crazy and flighty and not good minded. But Arabians have taught me so much as well. And it's, it's, you know, specifically Gammy, and we'll get into Gammy yeah. in a little while. But she was the first horse I started under saddle. And these Arabians are just, they are spirited. And yes, they can be flighty and they can be, you know, dangerous and they can be quick and all those things that those stereotypes are. Yes, they can be. But I think more than that, they are so smart and they are so willing to partner with you as long as you let them keep their pride. And I've found that in life. If someone can say, talk however they want to me, but as long as they let me keep my respect and as long as they let me keep my pride, I will almost do whatever for them as long as I know that whatever they're saying is going to come from a good place. And that's what I do with these rescues and these Arabians. And it's just changed my outlook because I treat these horses like people. People are like, well, horses are people. Well, they have a soul just like you and I do. Yeah, that's true. And I treat them as I would treat myself. Yeah, yeah. So what for you in that journey with Arabians, where have you found that success in maintaining the continuity of their respect and almost feeding that, that prideful approach that, that these Arabians can demonstrate. For sure. And, and the one thing that Arabians are known for is being just forward and just having so much energy. And the one thing that I've found is why that is, is because they're not relaxed. They're very quick. They're like, they're like those people that you meet that are quick to rush to judgment and that are just really high strung. Mm -hmm. And so what I've learned is to deal with that is to teach them to relax first. Just say, hey, look, we're not going to do much right now. We're just going to sit here and just relax. And if we start by them getting in their mind to relax, them getting in their mind that going is not the answer, that stopping and thinking is the answer, boy, they figure out problems more and quicker than a lot of horses that I've ever been around. But you got to get them to chill first. Yeah. And, and that's what kind of the Arabian horse has kind of added to the program that, that I continue to build is making sure that I get the horse in a frame of mind where they can listen. And, and the best analogy that I use is a lot of times in stressful situations, we revert back to things that we have practiced before. It's hard to learn new things when we're completely stressed. So if we put a solid foundation, and I'm sure you go through this in your career, that is why that we develop patterns in our lives that when we do get in a stressful situation, we revert back to those patterns. And if they're good patterns, they are going to get us through where we need to go to the other side. And I try to just promote that same thing with these Arabians and horses in general, really. It's true. You know, people always talk about rising to the occasion under stress, and I couldn't find that to be more of a fallacy. And in times of stress and times of pressure, you fall right to your... <laughs> your basic level of fundamental training. And if you take the extra time to develop that fundamental skill set and raise the ceiling on that, you know, when you fall back into a stressful or pressure situation, you're giving that horse a greater skill set to draw from than the mystique of, hey, in 30 days, this horse has to do this or 60 days, it has to do that or 90 days, it has to do whatever. 
I think sometimes yeah. when you put that time constraint on there and, and sometimes it's inevitable, right? You cannot avoid the time constraint because it's a training program or whatever. But I think if we focus more on, generally speaking, focus more on developing the, the competency of the fundamental skill sets. And like you talked about, the simple skill set of relaxing, that is something yeah. that a horse can carry through the rest of their lives. That is applicable to every single season, every single skill, every single discipline that any horse could ever do. It's an That's incredible right. skill set, but oftentimes we just, hey, this horse has had four or five rides, it needs to be here. And now we're 10 yep. rides in, it needs to have this done. And and we lose we lose a lot of the efficiency of our training program because things such as relaxation are not emphasized or clarified early on in a process. You're so right. So you have developed a skill set with these Arabians and these rescues. Uh, you talked about it being a bumpy road and, and sometimes there are some ugly moments in there, but you definitely developed a competent skill set and was offered a pretty decent opportunity in 2019 um, to start learning from a great friend of ours and an extremely successful horseman. Let's kind of talk about that experience and, and how that offer came to be and work through some of the progressions and opportunities that came as a result. <laughs> you know, I tell you, this story is hilarious and and I, I really think it all boils down to um, faith. You know, yeah. I don't I don't really I'm not a big believer in, in luck. And my, one of my favorite quotes is the harder you work, the luckier you become. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and I just fully believe that. But. Yeah, 2019, I was getting ready to start my youth program. I, I was sending all of my horses home. I had like 12 horses in training, and they were all just finishing it up. And I, I just wasn't taking any more horses for training because I want to start my youth program. But I got a call from one of my friends, and she's like, hey, this guy named Dan James. I had no, I had no clue who Dan James was. Yeah. Um, she's like, he's, he's, he's looking for someone to come and, and kind of help him and be like an assistant and start two Mustangs with him for the Mustang makeover. It's only a six-month commitment. But he's looking at a guy in California, so honestly, you probably won't get the job, but I at least can just call him. <laughs> hey, go ahead and make the effort. You're probably not the guy for it, but you can try anyway. <laughs> it's, so, it's so true, and I laugh about it because it's like, well, I don't know this guy. I probably won't get the job, but hey, I'll, I'll reach out to him anyway. And so, well, you know, luck turns out, or not luck, but fortune turns out that the guy in California didn't work out, and Dan calls me, and he, he's like, hey, mate, man, I'm not going to try to put on that Australian <laughs> accent because it's terrible. And I don't want to offend him. But he, he, he called me. He's like, hey, I got an opportunity for you. He's like, uh, you can't bring your own horse, but um, you know, I want you to come out here for six months, and I want you to help me work with these two Mustangs and compete in the Mustang makeover in 2020 in Fort Worth. And I was like, hey, I would love to, but I was like, you've never seen me ride. You, you don't know anything about me. And he was like, hey, look. I, none of that matters to me. All that matters is that you're willing to listen and learn and work hard. And I said, I can do those things. So I, I was like, you know what? I prayed about it. I took a leap of faith and I'm like, I'm moving out to Kentucky. So off I went, packed my bag, left my horse and said, you know, whatever happens, it, you know, it'll just be six months if it doesn't work out. And so I got there then like he was like getting ready for Vegas, his big show in Vegas. And uh, so he didn't really have too much time. He had a couple of days. He's like, Hey, go hop on these two horses uh, for me. And I was like, uh, do you want to know anything about me? He's like, no, just, just go, just go out there and, and, and ride and, you know, see what you think. You're like, <laughs> all right, here we go. <laughs> yeah. I was like, Oh man, like, please let me not get bucked off the first one. Yeah. 
was like, first was like trying to test me. He just had, he was a cool horse, but he was green. And he tried to get me off a couple of times. And I was like, oh no, Dan's out there. I'm like, I'm not getting off this horse. I don't care what happened. So, you know, it worked out well. We got through it. And the second one, you know, was a little spooky, but, you know, did a great job. And he's like, you know, you did really good, mate. You, you know, you, you know, were calm and relaxed and, you know, I can, I can see, you know, potential in you. And that's really all he said. And so he left, he left for a couple of weeks for, for Vegas. And I was left kind of taking care of the farm and we just had a lot of maintenance stuff to do. So I was like, you know, I'm not really here for maintenance, but I'm just going to do it. Whatever. Yeah, it doesn't, yeah. doesn't matter. I just want to work and I want to learn. And so I just went to work and I busted my tail and I word got back to him. I guess that, you know, I, I was working hard. And when he got back from his trip to you later, he's like, Hey mate, I know you, you haven't been here very long, but I want you to stay. I know you, you know, we're supposed to be here for six months, but I want you to stay longer for another year. And I was like, wow, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't even know me, you know, as a yeah, really, yeah. he's just willing to go out on a limb. And, you know, just long story short, him, Dan and Elizabeth are some of the most genuine people I've ever met because not only are they incredibly famous in what they do and, and they're some of the best on the planet, but they treat people the same way at the farm that they do in public. And to me, that's like the most rare quality you can find in people uh-huh. is just uh-huh. genuine people. And I always told myself, I want to work for myself, but I will work for people that are genuine, that have faith and that treat people with respect. And, and Dan and Elizabeth are like siblings to me now. They're like older brother and sister. And, and I will call them and trust them in any situation and I think that they can feel the same way about me. And we grew together. We've, we've had a lot of fun together. We've worked hard together. And, and now, you know, I'm his, you know, right-hand man with pretty much everything that we do here at the farm, whether it's training or showing or whatever else, you know, I'm there for him uh, with whatever he needs. And um, he's just an incredible horseman and has taught me mind-boggling amount about how to relate to horses, whether it's colt starting or liberty or raining, you name it. He's just been that foundation piece for me. It's incredible as you, as you kind of unwrap this interaction, how, how the conversation has come back full circle, right? We just spoke about how important it is to lay that foundation and have a, a, a viable skill set early on. And in listening to your story, how much of it circles all the way back to, you know, your early experiences in sports. Youth sports, mm-hmm. right? Hard work and discipline and self-motivation and and the drive to push on. It, you weren't out there to be a ranch hand, right? You were out there to work a couple horses, but you found it in yourself to have the discipline, to find the work, to contribute to something greater than what was asked of you. And the payoff, the reward that came as a result, it's, it's incredible to see. And it's almost hard to find these days where – People are just willing to work, you know, find yep. work. That's an adage I've always, I've always carried. It's two words, find work. <laughs> I love you know, it. I don't need to be asked to do stuff. If there's something wrong, let's address it and fix it. Now, if it's not my place that I'm working at, obviously you might want to ask and get the permissions before you go out on your own ventures. But <laughs> uh, yep. that being said, right, just find work, find work. And yes. here you did demonstrating that in, in a few interactions with Dan. And he's obviously seen the talent and the ability in those fundamental skill sets and, and 
your relationship has grown as a result and your horsemanship has grown as a result and, and you're light years ahead of where you would have been if you would have just sat back on your heels and, and taken orders for those six months while you were out there. Oh, for sure. Good stuff. So let's talk a little bit about your experiences out there and at Dan's place and developing into your next venture here, kicking off in April. Um, it's an event known as Gamila Unbridled. And I'll let you introduce who Gamila is and the unbridled portion of it. And we'll get into the details as to, well, it's going to be about a six, seven month journey for you, Al. Correct. Yep. Six months. Good stuff. So let's start with the idea first. Where did the idea originate? Because this is kind of a tall order you're about to step off on. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny. This journey started probably three or four years ago when I learned about, you know, uh, Liberty from the beginning. Uh, I went through the Pirelli system and went through their levels and all that, all those things. And they had Liberty and, and Liberty was always my favorite thing to do. And I, I just, there was just something about it. Being able to communicate with a horse with no halter or nothing on them was always, you know, what I, what I thought. And, and the more I learned about my family's past, I learned that my great grandfather was into Arabian horses and he had a, a Arabian, a small Arabian farm up in, uh, Indiana that he had when, you know, in the 1940s. And he first learned about the Arabian horse through the Chicago World Fair when they first came over in this country. So my initial thought was like, I want to ride an Arabian, not bridalist or anything. Like that. I just wanted to ride an Arabian from Chicago to where the farm was now, which ended up turning out to be north of Dallas. And I was like, that's what I want to do. That's what the journey. But as things progressed, and developed, and the more I learned about liberty, the more I wanted to do something a little bit bolder, something a little bit more extreme, and something that would be able to show people the ability that we can, you know, the ability that we are able to show with our horse and the connection and the relationships with our horse at a level that maybe hasn't been seen that widespread. You're definitely going to bring some awareness to it. So let's let's get into the lion lion's share of what what this challenge is that you're about to step off on here in in April and and the finite details of the venture and what it's what it's trying to raise awareness for in the the International Liberty Horse Association. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, before I, I say that, I, I want to share that you know pretty much every professional like that that does this for a living that I've shared this with thinks that this challenge is really crazy um i guess to put it bluntly like, and i support Dan, that <laughs> <laughs> so i want to put that out there that you know dan and elizabeth they love me to death and like a mark and, and like there's a lot of wonderful professionals that i'm great friends with and but they just look at me like are you sure you want to do this i spoke with dan today and he was like how's the trip plan and are, are you 100 percent sure you're, you're you're gonna do it you know but so the goal is the plan is not the goal we're, we're going to do it mm-hmm we are going to travel from Sacramento, California to Lexington, Lexington, Kentucky at the Kentucky Horse Park, bareback and bridleless, 20, over 2,500 miles in six months. Bareback and bridleless. Yep. That is going to be unbelievable. We've had uh, quite a few guests that have stepped on off on these ventures and uh, Jody Morton, who's a good friend of the show, and she's an Australian. She's done some trail riding out there in, in Australia and then came to the U S and, and covered some ground here and watching her journey unfold 
It was absolutely unbelievable. She did it for mental health awareness and she continues to work in that realm, in that field and does some impressive work. And then as you were describing this venture to me, your venture to me, you know, several weeks ago when we first talked about it, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, Jody kind of did some things like that. And, you know, we talked about all the challenges and how Jody's helped mentor a lot of people on it. And then you dropped the, uh, yeah, well, I'm going to do this bareback and bridalist. <laughs> Excuse me? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about the development of that, right? That is a very, very unique – I mean, to travel on with a horse that far is is exceptional, right? But to take things to that next level of, of bareback and bridalist and really focusing on that Liberty Foundation, let's talk about the preparation that you have gone into and the focus in your training program to get ready to step out on this venture. Yeah, well, I tell you what, it's been a journey with – with Gammy and uh, Gammy, I'll tell you a little bit is my nine year old mare. She's an Arabian mare and she was the first horse that I ever started under saddle. And boy, I mean, she taught me a ton. Like she, she is spirited and she's sassy and, and boy, if you try to force something on her, she is going to let you know. And I'll just share a quick story of kind of why, you know, why this is almost more challenging taking her, but also, you know, the same, at the same time, why I'm taking her is when I was at the beginning, probably six months in, you know, it's when after I started, I was trying to teach her to canter. I didn't really, didn't really know how to canter either, but I was just cantering out in the snow in this large field. And I was just like yelling at her. I was like, why can't you just canter? You know, why can't you just relax? And pretty soon she just got fed up with me kicking her and pulling her. And so she just went straight to this tree and I couldn't take her side to side. And she ran me straight into this tree and I slipped up. On, and I landed in the snow. And the worst part about it is my sister came walking up. And my sister's 13 months older than me, and she's just laughing her tail off. <laughs> like, I'm like punching the snow and just pissed off. And I was like, things have to change. This is not right. I, I can't force her to do these things after I settled down. You know, when I, when I was in that moment, I was just pissed. I was like, this horse is stupid. This horse doesn't know what she's doing. This horse we got to get rid of her, you know, that type of stuff. But, you know, she is the reason she's the one that the horse that started me on this journey of why bareback and bridalist, because I think I found with her that the less I do and the less I try to force her to do, the more she is willing to give me. And when, when I take that bridle off and I'm soft, I barely have to do anything and she will do it as long as she knows what her job is. Yeah, And so I was like, wow, if it really takes this little to communicate with a horse, why the heck am I doing all these other things that aren't needed? Why am I using more force than is necessary? Why am I, you know, using more legs than I have to? Why am I pulling harder than I need to? And for me, when I take that bridle off a horse, it gives them their trust back it gives them their freedom back. And that's what the whole journey is. I'm trying to give the horse their voice back. And if I can give them their voice, then we are able to communicate fully. It's so infectious when you get to that point in communication with your horse. And I found one of the big turning points in my journey in horsemanship specifically is giving the horse the ability to make a decision rather than forcing something on them, right? Let's, we'll, we'll talk about the canter, right? Or loping a horse. Instead of 
driving and pushing and pulling and kicking, whatever the typical conventional approaches are to that, right? Instead of doing all of that, put yourself and your horse in a position where they have the decision, they have the power to make the decision and choose the successful route. And once I first started to see a little success in that, it was just unbelievable. And like you talked about, can I ask just a little bit less? Can I act just a little bit softer? Can I be a little bit more gentle, right? And that's right. it's unbelievable how quiet you can become as a rider, yet how loud and effective your communication can be with your horse. You know, the common person will sit there and watch you work with a horse and never see any physical change in your body and your approach. Mm-hmm. But the communication that you've established with your horse and the shift in the body weight in, you know, whether you tense on one side, relax on another, right? Just literally the contraction of a muscle is enough for them to be able to perceive a change in you. And uh, it's just truly, truly incredible. And it definitely opened up my eyes to the world of liberty. But it improved my riding, period, my horsemanship, period. You know, I wasn't out. I wasn't out trying to be so demanding with the horse. It was, let's go out and work on some stuff. I'm going to ask you to do this. If you choose to do it, great. If you don't do it, then I need to find a more articulate and clear way to ask whatever the given task is that I, I'm asking of you. And, and for yeah. me, it was taking that ownership and turning it inward, right? Rather than, than putting all the, all the blame on the horse. Well, how come the horse isn't doing this? Instead of, mm-hmm. instead of that, I'm asking myself, how can I make it more clear for this horse? How can I be a better horseman? How can I be more articulate in, in what I'm asking of the horse? And it's just absolutely incredible. And for you to be able to take this on the road per se, well, I guess to be on trails and not the road, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's going to be an incredible journey. And it's not just a trail ride for you. Let's talk about some of the peripheral events that you're going to be doing while you travel from California to Kentucky. Yes. You know, and I'll be honest with you, Jason, this trip is more about these external things than just me traveling across the country bareback and bridalist, because I know it might sound silly, but I don't want to make this trip about me going across country on my horse bareback and bridalist. I want to make it about giving back and, and demonstrating the ability for these horses to connect without the use of ropes and without the use of having to force them to do things. And that's what Liberty has shown me. And so the whole goal of this is throughout the way, and I'll I'll name the states. I can't name the rescues yet because I'm still finalizing all of them. But in Mm -hmm. California, Utah, Colorado, Missouri, and Kentucky, I'm going to be stopping for five days at different horse rescues all free of charge to them. And I'm going to be working with four or five of their horses for five days, only at Liberty to see how far we can take their horses at Liberty. What, and and the, the ultimate goal, let's say at the end of the five days, I would like to be working these horses out in the arena at Liberty, but also riding them at Liberty, meaning that I will not, you know, have to put a halter on yeah. and we will start them at Liberty. We will start them under saddle using only Liberty techniques. And the whole, my whole purpose is this, is that I want to give back to the rescues. I want to give back to the horses that maybe that or wouldn't be given a second chance without it. Because a lot of these rescues can't maybe be ridden because the majority of people, it, it would be too dangerous, but Liberty can provide these horses another avenue to be successful and to find a second chance at life. Because if you're able to work with these horses on the ground and you're able to have fun and get them to circle you and lay down and sit and rear or whatever else you want to do at Liberty, 
It's providing these horses an education that they will carry with them for the rest of their lives. And if I am able to help just one rescue, one rescue horse along the way, find a new home and give them a voice, then I've done my job. Because a lot of people take these journeys to promote themselves, but I want to promote the cause and liberty and not just make the journey, but I want to help people along the way of the journey. Because it's not a journey to do things by yourself. You don't get a reward like that. You get a reward by giving. You get a reward by sharing. And if I'm able to share knowledge and I'm able to gift just a little bit, then it'll make this journey worth it. You know, one thing, Patrick, that I think is most commendable and, and I admire most about you is your desire to serve, right? Is your desire to give back at a greater level than you're taking from anything or any interaction. And I think that's what really, really draws folks to you. And it's demonstrated in so many chapters of your life as I get to know you more. I mean, even with the soccer, right? You developed an incredible skill set in soccer, played at a professional, very, very elite level. But what was the first thing you did when you hung them up? You went back and you helped high school kids get ready for college. You helped collegiate kids get ready for professional careers, right? There's many, many yep. life lessons that come from that. You know, you get hooked up with Dan out there in Kentucky and it's more than just putting together two horses for a Mustang, uh, a Mustang makeover. You know, there's, there's ranch work to be done and, and it stems into, to all the Liberty work and, and all the work that you do around the farm. And, and here we are with some of your loves and some of your passions with the Arabian horse and your pursuit of education. And yes, this is a, it's tall order. And yes, we need to bring recognition to the event, but it's not for Patrick Sullivan. It's not for, for right. anything uh, that's even remotely construed as a selfish purpose. You're you're doing this to show the incredible work of the horse. You're doing it for the incredible purpose of giving rescues redefined purpose. Oftentimes they're just thrown away, and and you're going to breathe life in a, in a second career and a second opportunity into, into a lot of these horses and all the lives that are going to be touched along the trail and all the awareness that you're going to bring to liberty as a, as a discipline and the rescue horses. I mean, it's, it's absolutely commendable and, and I have the utmost respect for you and your journey and stepping off in this, in this venture. I mean, we're talking 2,500 miles that you're going to travel with a horse and, and not, a, <laughs> not a single piece of tack. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's, it's something else. And I tell you what, it's, it's, I think that it all starts with our foundation and, and I, I believe personally that all people and all horses have a role in life. And sometimes, you know, it takes 80 years to find your role or, you know, a horse takes, you know, getting beaten down a lot to find their role. Mm -hmm. But I think every experience we go through shapes us for our future. And, and this, this journey wasn't made in a night, you know, my whole life's been preparing me for it, all the ups, all the downs. But I think most of all that I just want to be able to shed a light on, on how, on the horse's and I want to sh shed a light on being, you know, proud that we're willing to look a little bit deeper than we ever have before. Yeah, yeah. It's incredible to see the culmination of a season or a chapter in your life come to a head. You know, this is this is kind of the the end of a, a skill set you've developed, and, and there's a lot that's going to go into it. But just as this chapter closes, right, it's going to open up so many more doors and opportunities and, and different areas for you to serve in life. It's... It's truly, truly impressive, and I, I want you to share your website and social media where people can find out more about the event, how they can get behind the event, and stay in tune with, with the travels from, from starting in April. Yes, for sure. So 
it, you know, it, it's funny. I was talking to my sister last night, and, and my sister is going to be the person that's going to be driving the truck and trailer and meeting me every day and documenting documenting the whole journey. And that I'm just so excited. She's my best friend in, in life, and and seeing that if my sister, my horse, and I can survive the journey all all intact, you know, <laughs> job well done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, no, I'm, so we're going to be creating a documentary out of it called Gamila Unbridled. But you'll be able to follow the journey on uh, our website, so moderndayhorsemanship.com, and then our Facebook page, Gamila Unbridled Facebook page. You'll be we're going to have updates every single day about it, and you'll be able to follow the journey and just share with us. Because you know, Jason, I, I keep talking about giving back, but I want people to come and enjoy the journey with me and. I don't want this just to be, like I said, about me. I, I want people to come and experience it. I've gotten so many messages from people that I've talked to, like, I wish I could do what you were doing. And I'm like, you know what? Come on. Take ownership, you yeah. Be, yeah, you don't have to be bareback and bridles. You can have a bridle and a saddle. It doesn't matter. As long as you're willing to listen to your horse and have a goal of connecting with your horse, that's liberty. If you're willing to give your horse freedom back, come on. Even if it's for a yeah, day, yeah. welcome people to join me. Because that's what it's about anyway, is the people and the relationships. Man, it's incredible. Absolutely incredible. Well, Pat, as we wrap every show, I like to uh, ask a question formulated around freedom, right? So in your walk in life, what is a life lesson that you would share with somebody who might be just a mile or two down the trail behind you? Something that you would like to pass on, maybe as legacy advice? Yeah. Um, you know, I guess I kind of want to start with with the definition of, of liberty um, and, and the freedom, what it means to me. But liberty means the state of being free within society from oppression, restriction imposed by authority on one's life, behavior, or political views. And, you know, I don't, I'm not here to make political statements. I'm not here to judge other people. But I, I encourage everyone, every single person, to take advantage of your freedom, take advantage of this amazing country that we live in, because there really aren't many places in the world where we are able to do the things where we are able to do. And taking a hold of that freedom is scary because when you take a hold of freedom, it's almost limitless. It's almost to the point where you feel as if you have no control and no control is scary. But when you finally see what you're supposed to see, even if it's a small step towards your own personal freedom, there is no better feeling in the world. And I, and we all go through tough times. I doubt myself all the time, but I decide to wake up in the morning with the choice that I am going to strive to get better every single day and that I am going to strive to help at least one person as much as I can. And I value freedom and I value people like you, Jason, who, who give us our freedom on a day-to-day -day basis. And people, I don't think, and we, most of us will never see the stuff that you've gone through and people like yourself, people in armed forces, people that are teachers and our service members that, that give us this freedom. And I feel like it's our job to give back to individuals like yourself to take advantage of it. Because if we don't, we are wasting the opportunity of a lifetime. Man, that's incredible. It really, really is. It's, uh, I, I can't thank you enough for that first and foremost. And it's, 
we're not going to get into the weeds with it, but it is disheartening to see the state of the country. And yeah. until you've had to be the individual to fight for the colors that fly on a flag or the words on a constitution, um, just has a little bit different meaning, right? And That's freedom, right. Is a, freedom, freedom tastes a little sweeter. Um, but man, I can't, I can't thank you enough for setting time aside for us and sharing your testimony. I'm pretty stoked about this venture you're stepping out on. And, and obviously the show is here, right. To leverage support for you and bring awareness to it. So please keep us in the loop with schedules and events and timelines. And we'll try to share a lot of your content and and be as much of a part of your journey as possible because, uh, you're a likable man and, and you're somebody that I respect and, Anything that we can do to support your cause or get behind any of your ventures, I, I would do it with the utmost pride. So I can't thank you enough, Pat, for being being a guest here on that Freedom Rain podcast. I know this is in the end of our story and the end of our journey, but do keep us in the loop. For everybody listening, it's Gamila Unbridled, G-A-M-I-L-A-H is how you spell Gamila. ModernDayHorsemanship.com is where you can find all of what Patrick has going on with this venture. And stay tuned for updated schedules and, and release dates. We're looking for mid-April, if that is still correct, Patrick. That is correct. April 16th is our depart date, and we'll be finishing October 16th at the International Liberty Horse Association Championships here in Kentucky. Good stuff, brother. Well, we will talk down the road, and again, I cannot thank you enough. All right, Jason. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, thanks for riding along with another episode of Let Freedom Reign podcast and being part of our freedom family. If you want to provide greater support of this show, visit patreon.com forward slash Let Freedom Reign podcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Let Freedom Reign podcast. And Reign is spelled R-E-I-N. There you can provide a donation and it costs less than the fancy cup of coffee you're probably holding to help us produce free weekly content. For collaborations, to book us as a guest for your next event, or to make guest recommendations, email us at info.lfrpodcast at gmail.com. For the most up-to-date information on Let Freedom Reign, visit our Facebook and Instagram page at Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Additionally, you can find us on Twitter at Let Freedom Reign underscore. We cannot thank you enough for being our most loyal listeners, and we'll see you on the next one.